So we're just like, we have to marry them, have children with them, establish ourselves to where they fully trust us, and then slowly kill them and kill the children, because then that will leave us with the head rights. And that's what they did. Welcome back to another episode of All Booked, a Sterling Municipal Library podcast where we talk to you about the books we'd like to recommend. And Sam and Kathy are here to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. It's a nonfiction title that apparently has been receiving rave reviews, and they both very much enjoyed it. How about you guys tell us what it's about? Sure. So it is a narrative nonfiction, and it's actually something that we read for our secret reader event. Sam and I were both assigned this book as our secret reader choice. And narrative nonfiction is nonfiction that reads like fiction. And this book was definitely one of those. Personally, I'm not a big nonfiction fan. But being that it did read like fiction, I feel like it made it a lot easier for me to enjoy the read. But just a little background on the book itself. It's based over the Osage Reign of Terror. So if you're not familiar with what that is, it is when multiple Osage tribe members were actually killed for their oil wealth. And the events leading up to the murders are what are pretty overwhelming and very interesting, to say the least. I agree. Now, it is. It's a good book. It does read very much like a you know regular fiction book even though it's real and it's kind of horrifying by the fact that it is real that these people you know after getting pushed across the country by settlers moving in and taking territory and repeatedly breaking treaties and whatnot then they come in and they give them this patch of rock that just basically like this is worthless land we'll put them give them a reservation here and you know to the chagrin of the i guess the settlers or the you know the colonizers the uh land had many, many oil deposits under it and made these people millions of dollars. So to kind of get there is a bunch of the white European settlers came in and started moving in and marrying a lot of the people. And slowly and surely they all started dying and being poisoned or, you know, dying by various other... Quote unquote accidents. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, it's captivating. It's a shame that this happened in real life, but it is captivating. Just to follow the story. And it also goes into the dawn of the FBI as well. And that's who ends up kind of breaking the case. So what time frame did this occur during? This was in the 1920s. And what was really interesting about this time, too, is that just like Sam said, they became so rich that even the government was just like, we can't have this. We can't have Native Americans be more rich than, you know, the white people and it was like an actual like serious problem to them to the point where they wanted to like that they even set laws to where yes you can have this money but only we can control what you spend it on uh, we can control how much you spend a year wow. um, it was pretty crazy and i think the book even mentions that at one point the osage tribe would have been like the fourth wealthiest family in the world in the 1920s so that just goes to show how much money the oil wealth brought to the tribe which mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. In total, how many people were murdered? Um, I want to say got into the hundreds. Good Lord. And that's just ones that were kind of directly traced, but there were all sorts. It was like the murder rate just jumped over anywhere else in the nation. It just 
jump. I think it averaged about 32 a year, yeah. they said. And wow. so then that was like, really, it took you that long to like, for like, I guess the government to click, like something isn't right here that every year we're for, in the 20s, we're having 32 Osage tribe members die. And it's like just a few things. And it's just kind of like Sam said, poisoning. But it's like you had other things that were just like, all of a sudden, these car accidents. Oh, all of a sudden, a bomb goes off in in their households so you know Mm -hmm. a lot of things it's just kind of like hmm this isn't really making any sense did it ever seem like they maybe weren't looking into it because it just wasn't a priority they were like oh no well these people that we already think shouldn't be rich are dying at a higher rate it's probably just an accident well as he goes through and tears that's what's kind of cool is the author even after they finish the case he keeps going through years after he's finished with the initial collection of information goes through all these different things talks to people and it turns out you know all these strange things happening and it turns out the conspiracy i mean it went through like the local medical people it went through like basically all the law enforcement up to, all the way up to like the state like yeah. representatives and stuff like they were Everyone was kind of in on it in some way and getting some sort of kickback. So it was just layers and layers of people covering it up to the point where at a federal level, no one could really tell. They thought it was weird, but not. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it was transfer of wealth from, you know, a reservation back into like white America. So they were they weren't really concerned about it. The book is also interesting because it kind of itself, the book goes in three different parts. So like the first part, it talks about the the main family that it focuses on is the Burkhart family and they are the Osage tribe. And they were the ones that I, they would feel like were targeted strongly because they were one of the wealthiest Osage mm. families. And it starts there. And that's kind of like how it ties into the second part, part, which is the investigating where the FBI finally steps in. And it's just kind of like something's going on here. What's interesting is that this they focus on the Burkhart family because this family, the women had married these white men. And all of a sudden, you know, these women are slowly dying. And it's crazy because it's like they have families and everything, you know, with these people. And as you learn in the investigation, that there was a man named William Hale who was these were their nephews and Mm. essentially just to tie in what was talked about like the conspiracies between everyone being involved one of the main most prominent guys was William Hale he had some nephews and they were just like hey these this Osage tribe like they have a lot of money and the only way that you could get that money was they weren't allowed to sell you were only allowed to get it through head rights so we're just like we have to marry them have children with them establish ourselves to where they fully trust us and then slowly kill them and kill the children because then that will leave oh us gosh. with the head rights. And that's what they did. The only surviving one was Molly. And when the investigation part, which is in the second part of the book, started happening and um, Agent Tom White started revealing everything, Molly was like in disbelief. She couldn't believe that she was like, no, there's no way that my husband, you know, would be plotting this against me. And when it all came to light, like he admitted, like, I just married her and basically convinced her that I wanted to be with her. But really all along, like I knew I was going to have kids with her to like fully establish myself. But he was also working towards killing their children as well so that he could get the head rights. And was was this was everyone doing this in on it together? Like, yeah, just a group of people were like, we're all going to start dating them get married, have children, and then murder them. This was on this one that he really covers. I mean, there's, it's happening in various iterations throughout. It's not like everyone was killed solely by this, but this was the one, I guess this was the most brash pod of people doing it. Yeah, right. Because they thought, you know, just, I can get away with it. 
no yeah. one's gonna mess with us because uh what was his name again the, william hill yeah because william hill was just like came up there established himself kind of befriended everybody you know like i'm uncle william you know everyone's like oh he's great like and kind of got in with everybody gained their trust and then used that to ultimately lead to their demise so i mean it was rather heinous all the way through yeah there's i mean there's car accidents and then there's systematically wooing an entire like town just to slowly murder them all yeah like, i mean it was like you know yeah it was a very like you know use the word genocidal about it i mean yeah. he moved in solely to i mean this is over a decade pull everyone in or more you know pull everyone in get them to trust and then slowly start killing all of them to take their money what was one of the fatal missteps that led to them getting caught? Well, what really started happening, which they explain in the investigations, which is also how the dawn of the FBI came into play, because the FBI still wasn't really a big thing. But now with this case, they were just kind of like, let's go and let's work on it. So there was an agent who really kind of paved the way for the FBI, and he took it serious, and he started questioning just about everybody. And it got to the point where, in this case, William Hill was just killing off everybody, you know, mm -hmm. that was like anybody that was giving information. There was a guy that was thrown off of a train. Good like, he, this like this yeah. was some serious stuff. Like, he was like, we are not getting caught because there was million, millions of dollars at stake. And, you know, then if this cover, like, once their cover was blown, we're talking like jail time for ever. Yeah. And he just started questioning everybody until... He was able to get to to people that kind of knew what was going on. I wouldn't say that he necessarily threatened them, but he definitely like convinced them well enough, like, tell me what's going on, which eventually like information was said and then more information was said. And then once he had enough witnesses and um, had proof that he had these witnesses, well, then everybody kind of started talking and okay. saying, he was like, well, I got information from this guy and he said that you did this. And he was like, no, he would never tell on me. And then he he would bring this guy and the guy would be like, yeah, sorry. Sorry, dude. Yeah, I told. And so it eventually, that's how they came down to find out what was going on. But even then, it's like people still, they were going to walk. I mean, there was no getting around it. Everyone was going to walk. And then Molly's husband finally cracked and was like, yep. you know, I did it. So he couldn't handle the guilt of like, yeah, I was going to kill them and we were doing this. And my I was supposed to send you know my kids and my wife to the house that got blown up. Mm -hmm. And it was just wild. So luckily, one dude grew a conscience somewhere at the end and just spilled it all out and was like, this is what we did. I mean, he went from I'm being acquitted to just walking in and like, I'm pleading guilty. I did all of this. And here's how we did it. Wow. So did he not kill the kids either? No. He like pulled out at the last minute. Yeah, because they were supposed to go over. Luckily, the one kid, because they mentioned early on that she would like massage, how Molly spent a lot of time massaging her child's ear and stuff because he had bad earaches and was blowing in them. And stuff like that. He had a bad ear infection that popped up the night they were supposed to go, so they stayed home. They were supposed to go, and he was going to send so them. So it's not even that he no. grew a conscience. No, it's no, no. I'm saying he grew a conscience at the courthouse. At the yeah. courthouse. But no, he was like, go, go to your sister's house. And then Molly, his wife, was like, no, our kid has yeah. an earache. You know, I'm going to stay home. And then it's like, he was like, dang it. You know, because by then... The blow-up was already scheduled to happen, and so it did, but his wife and children were at home, and so his plan failed. Honestly, seems like kind of a bummer of a book, guys. Yeah, I mean, seriously, talk about a whole family tree of psychopaths. Yeah, it seems very difficult to read, not sounds, just content-wise. And it even sounds like we're running the story by, like, here's all the stuff that happened, but it's like, that's just scratching the surface. Yeah. It really is. You could know everything walking in as you read. You're like, my God, like, this kept... 
going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's really cool to see early on, like, especially with the FBI part, like, you know, everyone kind of knows Jagger Hoover is kind of this really polarizing, horrible figure in mm-hmm. American history. But it was cool to see early on the links he went to make things happen that were actually beneficial, like before, you know, before power corrupted. So it was pretty neat to see how they grew this and how yeah. it actually led to the formation of the FBI. And eventually they got these people. But even after this bust, I mean, there were still people just falling over dead yeah. and stuff like that. But they eventually made it to where you had to have be a member of the tribe. You couldn't marry in. If you died, your head right did not go to your outsider spouse. Yeah, because of this, there were the legal changes to where it's like, it doesn't matter if I'm a member of the Osage and I marry so-and-so, even though I'm married to them for who cares how long, they will never be able to own any head right, no matter what. So yeah. it was it was a good change because that's something that's established even now. And for that reason, I'm also glad that I read it too, because I know that it's like, we're probably giving away a lot right now, but it's like, and uh, normally in books, you don't want to give everything away, but it's like, in this case, this is history. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad that, that, you know, that I read it and that I learned about it and learned that this actually happened, even though to me, it was just mind blowing. The whole time I was just like, there's no way, there's no way that yeah. this, that they were able to get away with all of this. And the fact that it was all true is just especially in the 20s like you could see something like this happening in the wild west kind of days but Mm -hmm. to think it was that recent is pretty shocking yeah yeah so you're talking under 100 years ago yeah it was and again you know like it seems like we're giving it all away but i will still stand on the fact there's so much more because i mean this is the first couple sections the third goes through the deep dive of everything he found talking to people now and i I guess now like early 2000s also a nonfiction book a lot of it is is that even if you know what ends up happening, a lot of it is figuring out how it got there and like being able to do that deep dive and and figure out how it happened that way. So, Kathy, I know you don't read very much nonfiction. Have you read very much true crime? I love I love watching like any kind of true crime documentaries. I don't really need not read nonfiction at all. I think okay. this is probably like my first like voluntary nonfiction read. And so I was pleasantly surprised as to how much I enjoyed it. I even enjoyed the end. Sam touched base a little bit about how the author actually went and did more research. And he actually went and personally met the Burkhart's Molly's granddaughter. Oh, wow. And so it just goes to show that their family is still alive and thriving, which they wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. if they would have gone to that house that day, which her grandfather had planned for them for them to happen and so to me it was just super interesting because i love true crime and i love watching documentaries i am definitely a fiction reader but this was this was a great read and for somebody who doesn't normally read nonfiction but likes kind of like mystery and reading about detectives and reading about crime this is definitely a good first one to jump into because it does read like fiction and it's definitely action-packed for sure because there's always something new and always something going on. So I think that I will try to read more nonfiction in the future. And Sam, I know you occasionally read different like memoirs, travelogues, different things like that. Oh, yeah. How does it stack up compared to other nonfiction titles you've read? I think it's great. I think if you're like, you know, if you're like Kathy, it's just kind of dabbling in nonfiction. It's great because it does. You could totally change the names into some fantastical world and you would just be like, man, this story's crazy. There's no way this could <laughs> yeah. happen in the real world. And you'd just be blown away. But it's written very much from like a narrative. So they did a good job of writing it where it flows like a story. It doesn't have those 
you know, everything's like, and then on March 8th, this happened. And on March 9th, this fact happened. Yeah. Which I think that's where a lot of people get turned off to nonfiction. It's a lot mm-hmm. of it's like historical fact. It almost comes off like a textbook. And this comes off very much like you're reading a regular novel. But it's all real. And it's all, all that information's there, but it's information easy to pick up. And it circles back a lot. He wrote it where there are, there's ways he could have written it where it was very matter of a fact, but he did good jumping around and kind of tying things back together where it's those kind of, you know, ends up being like the murder mystery at the end. And then he went here and did this. And then this happened. We start seeing all the dominoes fall, mm-hmm. which is where I say like all the stuff we told you, there's still so many dominoes you don't know about. Yeah. Right? So what happened to the dude that did say that he was guilty? Did he end up serving time? Yeah, he did. He went to prison, which is a good, you know, punchline of this postscript is the FBI agent that, arrested him, ended up becoming the warden of the prison where they all ended up going. <laughs> Which he actually ended up escaping with a group. What? Beat the guy up that a, a group ended up beating the agent up because he ended up being the warden and they all escaped and then they ended up all being caught again. But, <laughs> wow. yeah, it's, a, it's crazy. I'm just kind of like, this is something that you would see in like a movie, but no. Yeah. This is all very real. I guess he didn't really repent that fully then. <laughs> No, they said that he was actually, like, whenever he was caught, that he was just kind of like, whatever, you caught me. And that when he said that he kind of had the same attitude in prison, that was just kind of like, all right, well, I'm here. Like, what do I got to do? And that he would just kind of mind his business in prison and then made his little escape run and then got caught again. Yeah. So maybe less guilt and more, it might be worse if I don't rat (laughs) on other people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the FBI agent, Tom White, who became the warden. It's almost unbelievable the depth of his patience and understanding and ability to just deal with people. And I don't think anyone else would have caught these people because he has the, no matter what you do to him, he's like, well, the right way to handle this is this. I mean, very much comes off almost like a comic book hero in the way that he's just, no, like, this is not what we do. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, normal people would be like, that dude did what? Like, we're going to get him. We're going to kill him. We're (laughs) going to do this. Like, you know. And he's just like, no, that's not what we do. And it's one of those things where you're like, they could have made it up, but you can't. Because, I mean, there's all these people's records. I mean, there's yeah. things he did. Like, there were points, like, when the dude escaped and they, you know, beat him down and stuff, he was still just like, no, nah, that's not what we do. We don't treat them any different. Well, you know, most wardens have been like, solitary confinement forever, oh, you know? Yes. 100%. And he was just like, that's not how we do things. So you're just, but again, if he had that anger-based thing that we see he would not have solved this case. So it was pretty impressive to see how his temperament worked. And it's also just a, I think a good introductory window into how like systematic the removal of wealth from like indigenous people and people of color in the United States went. I don't think a lot of people know that like there were people succeeding. They were just apparently systematically murdered. Right like whole town scale wide murder to remove that wealth for them from them and i've heard about it a little bit but but this is the first time that i've kind of realized the scale i think and it's very disheartening obviously but like it it i mean disheartening in this way where it just feels like impossible for humans to make those decisions i, I mean i want to read it but i also am afraid that i'll just be really upset with the human race <laughs> There's a lot you see. You see the dangers of the rhetoric of dehumanizing other people. Yeah. Because you can't do things like this. You can't. If you actually view them as uh, people as, you know, a human being. Yeah. And that was the thing, you know, it shows the danger and why people have been upset over years about that kind of terminology when you dehumanize people, no matter who they are. Yeah. Is that it allows this terrible behavior. 
mm-hmm. it actually allows you to act inhumane towards other people. So yeah. These people acted like monsters. And that's what the crazy part of the end of the book is. That they're just, every time he turns a stone, it's not like, oh, there's nothing on there. It's like, oh, well, these, they're suddenly, you know, strings, these 10 other people and how they died. And mm-hmm. basically it makes every single person who died during this period in the Osage tribe could have been murdered. You don't know. Yeah. So it makes, it has like that layer of like, well, do they actually have a heart attack or they do this? Or maybe, it, you know, they're deaths were sped up by the grief and stress brought about by all their family dying. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if ever there was a case for like legitimately needing to be conspiracy theorists, yeah. I feel like it would be this whole trial. Oh, yeah. It was a conspiracy. <laughs> and now I'm like crazy curious and I really, I mean, I would never think that I'd say I want to go to Oklahoma, but I do want to go to Oklahoma and visit. Uh, there's the Osage National Park and you can mm-hmm. actually learn more about the history and everything that happened. And I'm really, really interested in going one day and and seeing all of that. And that does seem like the best way to, I guess, work against all of the terrible stuff that happened is to actually learn about the people and contribute to their tribe in some monetary way as hope recompensation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there are a lot of really ugly chapters in U.S. history that do not get covered oh, like no. they should be no one ever mentioned this in, in in my history books never learned about this in school so i think that's why i was just shocked yeah yeah it was wild and then you know we don't have to put this in the podcast just for everyone here the punchline of the whole thing is that even the people who were able to get money and get things you know the great depression hit right after that all the money was wiped out yeah so it's kind of the whole all of these horrors y'all did for money that eventually just evaporated a few years later literally Wow. And it's just like, yeah, y'all did this for nothing. Mm-hmm. So it was, that's what made it even more disgusting is that, you know, for something as temporary as financial gain, that yeah. it just makes it very clear that it's not worth anything. Yeah. Really. Like did this horrible damage and it's just, it was, it was sick. That's the, but you know, for y'all, like, again, this is more like for us, totally worth reading. There are points where when you're done, you're like, yeah, this horror happened, but a lot of good people came through and helped mm-hmm. make things happen. So if you go in the right viewpoint, it helps. That's good. For sure. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it really also focused on the formation of the FBI, because you've got a nice kind of counterbalance there, too. Yeah, otherwise, it's just like, everything's terrible. And we, we all deserve <laughs> These people to suck. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I feel dirty just reading about what they did. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for bringing a nonfiction book that, like I said, has gotten so many rave reviews. So it's definitely one that's worth checking out. And stay tuned next week for more fantastic book recommendations. Bye.